Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Thomas here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls. And I'm going to do one quick preseason thing just because I didn't get out there in preseason. My official preseason win prediction, and I'm not altering it because... Uh, of the start of the season was 42 wins. So I would probably lower that a peg already. Uh, but I have 42 wins as my you know official preseason prediction. My thought was this team seems better generally than last year's team. And they had really poor luck in closed games last year. You know, that balancing out a little bit should equal a better season this year. So that was, that was my thoughts about uh, everything preseason. So unmodified by what actually has happened so far in this season. So uh, let's now just get right to this season. So the Bulls sit at one and two. And if you told me the Bulls would be one and two right now, I'd probably be, you know, a little bit disappointed, but I'd also sort of take the stance of, you know, the closest you can be in a three game series is one and two or two and one. And, you know, we played three teams. I would have said, you know, Detroit feels like a team that might be significantly improved this year or might not. It's like hard to say. They've got like a lot of young talent, so they could be a team that comes together or a team that doesn't. So they're kind of like a total wild card. And then the other two teams, I thought the Thunder were going to be really good this year. And I, you know, I figured the Raptors would be about the same as us. I mean, they're really in the same boat of a lot of aging talent, not a lot of young talent. What are they going to do with themselves? And and so, you know, I'd say like, yeah, I I figured we're probably slight underdogs to the Oklahoma City Thunder. I figure we're basically probably slight uh, favorites against the Raptors due to being at home. And we'd be favorites against the the Pistons because no one would count them as being improved until they actually see it on the floor. But there's a chance that the Pistons are actually much better. So that would be kind of my thought. So if you said one and two, I'd be like, all right, maybe, maybe I'm a little disappointed, but maybe it's fine. But actually having watched the games played out, it feels a lot worse than that, right? You know, the Oklahoma City Thunder game... I don't want to read too much into it because it was a blowout at the end. Oklahoma was a really good team. We had no answer for uh, SGA. But three-point shooting entirely, 100% explains the point differential. If we, we were two teams that shot the same percentage from three last year, we added two good shooters into our rotation. And you know, it was like a 20% gap in the difference of shooting in that game. And if we shot the same percentage from three in that game, we would have won the game. And so there's been like a lot of complicated analysis about this and that and whatever with that game. But really, three-point shooting, that's it. Like if we shot the same three-point percentage, we would have won. And so, you know, it's hard when you have like a 20% gap. And like they're shooting like 48% from three and you're shooting 25% from three. It's just really hard to overcome that. Uh, you get to the Raptors game, though. And so, you know, we won this game ultimately. But boy, did it seem like neither team wanted to win this game. I watched the the second quarter, or sorry, the fourth quarter a second time yesterday. And it's, it's like wild, like you're watching it and there's like five minutes left and you're like, it's impossible. Like I know what's coming and I'm still thinking this is impossible. There's no way they can win this game. And, you know, like watching DeMar get to the line and only go four of seven from the free throw line, like over this super critical stretch. Like, like I'm ultra clutch, ultra clutch, ultra clutch, but then I keep missing free throws. And I got to say, man, if I was a Raptors fan, would I be mad about the whistles at the end of this game? The Bulls got some really uh, BS calls to get, to get over the top in that game. Like, this is a game it really felt like both teams were trying to lose, and the refs piled on in the Bulls' favor, and we still barely won. Like, so all those times, like last year, we had, 
I think it was like three games that conclusively the last two minute report showed uh, we should have won, but we ended up losing due to bad calls. Uh, this game felt like to me the reverse. I didn't actually go look up the last two minute report to see if if there were official bad calls, but there was like a lot of like 50-50 calls like that offensive foul Crusoe drew. Um, anyway, doesn't matter. So the Bulls pull that game out, but like you don't feel great about that win, right? Like it's it's a team you kind of feel is like a 9-10 range team similar to us, and we beat them in overtime by one point because they just like have a complete choke fest. And you know, like Toronto was awful in that game. Like they, they could not shoot the ball at all. At like 25% from three, we weren't a whole lot better, uh, to be honest. But, you know, so anyway, it was uh, just one of these games. Like you didn't feel like the Bulls played well. They just managed to win. And then you go into Detroit and you uh, fall apart in this game and, you know, you lose again. So it's been rough that, you know, the Bulls basically have been blown out twice. Now the Pistons are 2-1. and one. Maybe the Pistons are just legit. It's so, you know, it's, it's still only three games. You know, you expect it at this point probably to be 1-2 and two or 2-1. Two and one. And the only real gap is that the game you won was kind of like a, one of these, like, really close BS lucky games. And the two games you lost, you lost really convincingly. And so, you know, that, that overall vibe is a lot worse than the record is. So let's kind of then just jump into what we've seen out of the players so far. So, you know, Zach Levine obviously had drops 50 in the final game against the Pistons. It was just absolutely completely worthless the first two games of the season. And you're like, what the hell is wrong with him? And then all of a sudden, like drops 50 and you're like, all right, well, Zach is back now. Um, Kobe White, like to me, every time I watch him, I'm like, it it looks like he's doing good things. And I, I like the things I see him doing, but like the results aren't there. Uh, and, you know, big thing is he just can't hit the broad side of a barn. His three-point shooting is off. His shooting around the rim is off. Um, one thing I've really been happy for, though, that I've seen that I think is a really positive sign is Kobe White is starting to get to the free-throw line for the first time in his career. So he's he's averaging 3.7 attempts per game, which is not like a gazillion, but it's more than he's ever done in the past. His, like, previous high is, like, 2.1 you know, a few years back. And so him getting into the lane more is a conscientious effort. Like, I, I like that. He's starting to hunt out contact a little bit. Uh, he's looking away people with his eyes when he's making passes and gets into the lane. He's still getting caught up and making some bad decisions. And I think this is partially a case of where he really just hasn't gotten to do this role so much uh, in the past. And I think he just needs to trust himself to finish a little more. And he needs to actually just finish better. So Kobe White's numbers to me are really, really poor right now. But I think his play on the floor is much better than those numbers. And I, I'm quietly optimistic that Kobe White is going to be, is, is still in for a really good season. I thought that was true in the preseason. The one thing I think is this starting lineup is just a mess. It, it is just a mess. But I like, I like what I'm seeing in Kobe White visually, but the results aren't there. Now, maybe he's just not going to be able to shoot. Maybe he's just going to be a really terrible three-point shooter now. And maybe he, I mean, he's never been a great finisher on the rim, so that's not a huge surprise. But he's never been this bad. So I feel like those things, when he floats back to the norm, all of the other things are really good. His passing is much improved. His ball handling is much improved. His ability to get in the paint seems much improved. Uh, His defense and other things have always been really solid effort-wise, and he's just getting iteratively better at recognizing situations. I'm still a fan of Kobe on the contract we signed. And I, I like what I've seen, except, again, for the results, which is, you know, honestly, in the end, the most important thing. But 
I feel like the results will be there. Just kind of like, even though Zach was completely worthless in two games, I wasn't panicked over Zach because, you know, we've got this huge body of work and then Zach comes out in game three and just shows you like, yeah, I'm still Zach Levine. I can still do all this kind of stuff. Uh, so that's been, that's been one of the things, even though it's so far been a negative, I like all of the foundational pieces to me look positive. DeMar DeRozan looks, I think, just a little slowed down to me. And I think we're going to see a notable step back from him this year. His defense seems to be like really low effort. Now, he was absolutely critical in that uh, Toronto game. He just did everything for us down the stretch. Um, and, you know, he, his true shooting percentage is way down compared to you know, what he's done over the past couple of years so far this year. But that's, that's true of Zach Levine at this point. It's true of everyone on the team at this point. Like the team as a whole has been just god-awful on offense. And so it's probably a little bit unfair to single DeMar out for that, especially because he's still been the best offensive player, the most consistent offensive player on the team through three games. Um, but watching him, I feel like there's a little bit of dip. I feel like it's maybe not quite as much luck uh, as it is with the other guys. But we'll see how it goes. You know, he gets a lot of his points through craft. And so that craft obviously is still there. And uh, we'll, we'll see if he's able to, to bump it up a little bit of a notch. Like I said, he's actually closer to his numbers than everyone else. So he's probably the last guy you should worry about. But there's something about the way he's playing that makes me feel like maybe this is a little bit of more of a concern. And that this might kind of be who DeMar is at this point too. You know, but we'll see, um, you know, how that progresses. Nikola Vucevic has just been awful. I'm like, I just awful. Uh, you know, just presenting the rim. I don't think he's able to do anything on defense. He's uh, like everyone else. His offense has been, you know, really poor, very poor shooting wise. Um, if he finishes this year at these rates, it would be like one of the worst rates of his career. But again, you could say that of most everyone on the team. And so maybe Vuce bounces back. Maybe he doesn't. You know, Vuce is a guy. I think. Whatever you've listened to the show, you know I'm not super high in him. So he's another guy. My concern with this year, biggest concern, was that Demar and Vooch were just gonna kind of fall back a step, and you know still feels that way to me. So one of the things that was interesting is there was a video floated around Bloggable about how Kobe was uh, imploring Vooch to shoot twice in the same game that Vooch complained he's not getting shots, and they had the, the players only meeting. <clears throat> I've not gotten to talk about the players only meeting. It's been beaten to death. I kind of feel like it's a little bit overstated. Like it's like, yeah, we got blown out and the players talked without the coach there. And everyone's like, oh my God, players only meeting after game one, not on the same page. Well, like, so what? So they wanted to air some stuff and about that happened in that game. Like, I, I don't know. Like <laughs> if you had a problem with a teammate at work and then you went and you met and you talked right after the problem, would you think it's weird? Like I just... I don't know. It just feels like that's not so weird to me. I would say overall it's a concern and a greater concern than I thought about that maybe these guys just don't like each other. Like it's not hard to see where this team could hit a downward spiral really quickly and the whole thing could fall apart. It came out in the summer where Mark Eversley said, you know, in the exit interviews, people didn't feel like it was a team. And that wasn't something I would have really expected to hear and I didn't really think a lot of it or talk about it at the time but seeing this players only meeting and seeing how this team has come out 
it really now makes me feel like, yeah, these guys maybe don't like each other at all. Like, I'm not saying they hate each other. So they don't like each other means uh, not that they dislike each other, but that they are not great friends on this team. So that seems like really clear. Like there's not strong bonds and ties on the team. So we're going to use that like literally. There's not a favorable opinion of each other where they want to hang out and do stuff off the court or whatever else. Um, doesn't mean they hate each other. Like I think people then flip to the opposite. Well, if you're not buddies, you must hate each other. But they just don't have close ties. And when things get hard, that makes it a little hard, harder um, to have trust with each other and get back on the same page and, and think the same way. And that, that, that feels like it could be a part of these problems. And as the season starts to go south, guys like Vucevic and DeRozan, who are towards the end of their career, and Zach, who's been here forever and you know, just is probably just sick of being beat up all the time in the media, like all of these big names could easily be requesting trades. Like, like, just don't be surprised if we're like a month and a half in it, that this thing could just completely go off the rails. I'm not saying it will. I, I think it's too early to predict that. But there is a point where this team has basically been together three years now. This is their third season together. And they could just lose it. They could just lose it. Like coming out of the players only meeting, it was like, we feel we really need a point guard, like a big FU to Kobe White. Vooch wants more shots. And, you know, we promised like he'd be more involved in the offense, which was just a dumbass thing to promise like I don't know what we were thinking there and you know now he's upset that like maybe that's not coming to fruition but like geez like <laughs> I don't know how you'd want to do that and Zach's got to be sick of the, you know all the losing over all the years and you know DeMar's probably wants to win towards the end of his career he's only got a few years left maybe so you know it's interesting it's like this is a team where look we've been together three years this just isn't it like even the players have got to know like this just isn't it uh, and so I predict by, I predict that there's a good chance they're gonna, something's gonna go bad if they if they can't if they can't throw together some wins and, and float around 500. I think this team could just, if it goes south, it could go really far south. That's all. Uh, so we'll see we'll see what happens there. Now of the new signings, Tory Craig just looks like an insane signing for the vet men. Uh, he's been incredible. Like I don't know why. This guy's not getting at least $10 million a year. I, it just looks like a fantastic signing. Javon Carter, not so much. Uh, just hasn't been able to hit the broad side of a barn, uh, which has been been a problem. You know, but, you know, looks active on defense, but, boy, it just, just contributes to the Bulls' total problems of shooting. Not, I, I still like both those signings. I mean, love the Craig signing. It's ridiculous how much Torrey Craig is outplaying Patrick Williams. And for anyone who, you know, there was talk about this is Pat's contract year. He's got to go in and play well. The Bulls have never brought in a power forward until this year to even compete with Patrick Williams. Like, he was competing with shooting guards for power forward minutes. They finally brought in a power forward at the vet minimum. They brought in a vet minimum power forward to compete against him, and that vet minimum power forward is kicking his ass. So, I don't know. Like, I don't know, like, what... Pat Williams wanted over $20 million in his extension. Uh, you know, rumors were probably the 25 to $27 million range. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if this guy's worth the mid-level exception. I really don't. Like, he's, he's not a – the thing is people think he's a great defender, and he's not. He's not a great defender. He's gotten blown up by everyone that's attacked him so far this year. And this year he's been an awful three-point shooter. But, you know, sample size would say he's not an awful three-point shooter. Sample size would say Pat's probably a pretty good three-point shooter. 
but he's got a slow release. He can't get up a lot of volume, and he can't shoot off the dribbles. He can only shoot catch and shoots, and so he's fine. Like I think he's fine as a three and D guy, but he's not that great at the defense. And his three point shooting is is like pretty rigid in what you can do with it. And so it's like I could easily see how he makes iterative improvements there. But the big thing is. Pat Williams is just slow to recognize anything. I don't think it's a matter of effort. Everyone keeps saying, like, just Pat needs to put in effort. He needs hustle. He needs aggression. He's just not that good. And so when he tries to do things aggressively, he just turns the ball straight over. Like, you've seen that already this season. There's been a few possessions where Pat's like, yep, I'm going to go now. And he just tries to take the ball to dribble. He's stripped immediately. He doesn't have the ball handling skills to take guys off the dribble. And so he can be aggressive and look good at times, but only when the aggressive path is a straight line. So, like, I need to just run to the basket. There's no one directly in front of me. I have a slight edge already due to the way the play developed. Now, in that case, if he's aggressive, he'll be okay. But if he's aggressive against the guy who's set in front of him, it's just a disaster. And defense is kind of similar. When his responsibilities are incredibly simple, he's okay. But as soon as it's like, I have to understand where I need to be on the court, I need to understand how three different guys on the opposing team are moving to know which way I need to either play help defense or stay with my man and where I need to rotate, like that stuff. He just does not process fast. So the game is moving too fast for Patrick Williams still, and maybe that's something that improves over time, but until it does, he's not really going to be super active on either end. And it's the same thing on offense. Like, oh, he just needs to crash a glass heart. Like, he doesn't know where to go. He doesn't know which cut to make. He doesn't know which lane to take. And so all of that is just makes it look like he's just passive and doesn't care. But I think it's just a matter of he's perceiving the game too slow and just does not understand what he needs to do quick enough. And the game moves amazingly fast at the NBA level. So, you know, that's probably a hard thing to do. And that may or may not be a thing he ever really gets better at. Either way, you could not really even write out a worse script for Patrick Williams to start the season, uh, shooting 11% from three, not doing anything on any, any part of the court. I guess if you wanted to be a teeny bit optimistic about something, uh, it's probably the most assists he's ever had. <laughs> it might actually be the most rebounds he's ever had. No, probably not. But he's not actually, he's rebounded really poorly, just that I thought maybe it might be an edge higher than what he's done in the past. Um, so, yeah, not great for Patrick Williams. Andre Drummond has looked really um, Andre Drummondish, but has still been more effective than Vooch, which is like a little bit scary. Uh, and, you know, it's kind of one of those things I'm like, it's hard to advocate playing Andre Drummond because he does like bonkers things, but he's had a lot of really pretty great offensive moves in slow motion against guys. So, so the funniest was when he uh, broke Chet Holmgren's ankles, but he's had some decent drives to the basket, actually scoring at a, you know, pretty solid rate. Uh, it, you know, whatever. You, you throw him on the floor and he's going to collect stats. You know, he at least got that going for you. Ayo uh, Desumu, I think, has quietly been pretty good to start the season. His, his three-point shooting has generally been pretty solid. And, you know, that's, that's probably a really big thing. He's not gotten a lot of minutes yet, and he doesn't have a lot of attempts, and it's all, like, really small volume. But Ayo has been really good. Alex Caruso basically single-handedly won us our Toronto game with the three at the end and the big defense at the end of overtime and then the big defensive play at the end of regulation to get the balls, the ball back, then drew an offensive foul. Like, like, like Alex Crusoe won us a game, like single-handedly, like won us a game. So, you know, that's been fantastic. You know, watching him, you still wonder, like, it seems like an injury waiting to happen, uh, but he's been really solid. And then, you know, I don't know if we've not seen anything else from anyone. Uh, if I missed anyone, I think I covered everyone. 
Yeah, so that's kind of like where things are right now. And so going into, you know, confidence rating for the Bulls right now, I'd say you're pretty low, a little lower than what I started. Uh, I would probably, at this point, after three games, drop my win prediction down a little bit. But the thing is, like, if they if they bounce back, I still think 42 seems reasonable. Like, if they get back on the same page and they find some stuff. And if they go downward spiral, I think it's going to be like 31, 32, 33, maybe a blow up at the deadline. Uh, so this this couple games coming up, we got one Monday and one Wednesday on the road against Indiana and Dallas. I think those are pretty big games. You know, like you, I don't think you can start poorly. This is not a team like the 0405 Bulls that's going to start 0 and 13 and then bounce back. Like this this team, they've got too much baggage that they're carrying. So one more thing, and then I'm going to get you out of here. I want to discuss a little bit about the continuity we talked about continuity being a strength of this team and it feels like it should be right like it's more or less the same guys for three years now going into year three a lot of teams have had pretty significant changes and you would think having this level of continuity would give the bulls kind of like an advantage and what we've seen so far is it just does not look like these guys have ever played together before and i think the big problem with this is kobe white in the starting lineup and now i said earlier kobe white has not played the great positive effect because of his poor shooting, but everything else he's doing looks really good to me. And I still think that's true. What I think is Kobe White and DeMar DeRozan are a terrible pairing. When Kobe White has the ball, DeMar DeRozan is just sitting around doing nothing. And and DeMar is the type of player who kind of needs the ball in his hands. He's not going to do a whole lot for you off the ball. And so when Kobe is out there, like you end up with four guys kind of standing around. Maybe you do a Kobe Vooch pick and roll, and or maybe you just have four guys standing around. Pat's not going to do anything. Like He's always just going to be standing around. DeMar is often just standing around if he doesn't have the ball in his hands. Uh, Zach is standing around, but like maybe it's not so bad because Zach is just such an elite three-point shooter. Like He's just a great release valve. right? If you get him the ball with even a quarter step of motion or whatever, like he can really make something happen. So that's not so bad. Whereas DeMar doesn't do anything for you when he's standing around and Pat doesn't do anything for you except keep a guy somewhat close ish to him, but not even that close because you can close out on Pat at a medium speed and still get there and he'll, he won't shoot. Like he needs a lot of space. So, you know, that really doesn't leave you a lot of actions. And I think what the bulls need to be most effective is they need the ball to be in DeMar's hands with the starting group. And then they need someone to juice, you know, the bench. And so depending how you do your rotations, you know, I think that could all work out, but I think, you need one of DeMar and Kobe on the floor at all times. Not because it's like these guys are so revolutionary that like they, you just can't split them up because they're so dangerous, but because their skills are so non-complementary that you want to split apart their minutes as much as possible. So if DeMar is going to play you know, 36 minutes for you, all 12 minutes he's not playing, Kobe should be on the floor. Get as much of their minutes separated. Now, you might be able to do that while starting both of them, not saying that you can't, but it sure feels like it might be better for me if we went with the starting lineup I suggested in the preseason, which was Javon Carter, the big three, and uh, Torrey Craig, and then you brought Pat Kobe off the bench with Caruso, and then now you have a little bit more balance in both sides. I get that they wanted to give Kobe the starting job. They want him to play more minutes, but you can play a lot of minutes in a bench role. You can still close with, closing, yeah, close with Kobe in a bench role, uh, and I think that would be better. But I think the lack of continuity really comes with Kobe White being a different type of point guard than Ayo um, and certainly Lonzo Ball, you know, in the past. 
And with his own development, you know, he's really looking to break things down off the dribble, get into the paint. That all looks really exciting. But the Bulls don't really have a lot of actions for that. Like Lonzo wasn't doing that when he was healthy. Io certainly wasn't doing that. Like those guys would pass the ball immediately to one of the big three and then they'd start running sets and moving around and like and whatever. And, and so Kobe White is actually initiating some offense and this the, the mid three, if we want to call them that, or the big three, however you want to do it, they don't really need a lot of that. Like that's not what they're lacking. And so uh, I think this this fit is just really poor and it becomes one of those things of like, well, we don't want to bench Kobe because we don't feel he deserves it. We can't feel like we could bench one of the other mid three because their names are too big. And so they feel like stuck in this uh, battle of egos. But I, I think this is just not a lineup that's going to work well for the team. I do predict, and I haven't looked at the news this morning, that they should bench Pat really soon. Like, like Pat's not helping anyone. Torrey Craig in the starting lineup would do wonders for the starting lineup. Uh, again, like I just think if you went back to, to Carter and Craig in the starting lineup, and then you brought Kobe and you brought Pat off the bench. Just the whole team is dramatically more balanced. Uh, so we'll see what happens. We'll see if they make any of these adjustments and what's going on. But so far, the team just looks like they have very, very little um, chemistry together. And that's, that's disappointing for a team that's, that continuity was supposed to be one of their strengths. So we'll see how all of that pans out for you know the next few games. Uh, so going Indi- Indiana... Indiana feels to me, I've not like watched all of their games, but uh, they're 2-0, and and you know, they, they won, they've been, been piling, ports, yeah, piling points on the board. They had 143 versus 120 against the Wizards, and 125-113 uh, over a Cleveland team that you thought would be you know, pretty good. So you know, they're off to a pretty good start. That's going to be a really tough game uh, on the road. And then you come into Dallas. Dallas is also 2-0. They beat the Spurs and Nets, maybe, and then both those games are close, so maybe not so, um, not such a, a hot start for them comparatively, but Luka Doncic is always uh, deadly. So, you know, that, that game is also on the road, not going to be a walk in the park. You then got the Brooklyn Nets prior to playing the Denver Nuggets. So, again, the Nets, a team probably expected to be about like the Bulls are. Uh, they start off 0-2, uh, not played so well. And then Nuggets, you know, and on the road, you just kind of expect we're going to get destroyed in that game unless uh, Jokic sits for some reason. So, uh, you know, tough little stretch here. If, you, if the Bulls drop to Indiana and Dallas and then, say, beat Brooklyn, lose to Denver, you know, like that feels like a pretty reasonable thing. And you start two and five out of those first seven games, you know, that's like that's kind of a rough stretch. And it doesn't get a whole lot easier with the Jazz, the Suns, uh, then you got the Pistons, all those games about home. You know, like this is not really a murderer's row stretch of the season, to be honest. You know, these aren't like the elite teams. These are kind of the teams that are in the middle that you feel like you should have a good chance at. And right now the Bulls feel a little bit over their heads. Now, I think they're Kobe White regulating his shooting away from this being a much, much better situation. Uh, and we'll see if, uh, you know, that happens. And really, we should just say the whole team. The whole team is shot extremely poorly, so... One final, 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 final thought. Uh, the Bulls said this year they're going to try and kind of correct a lot of their inefficient offensive problems. They're going to try and get more offensive rebounds. They're going to uh, try to get more points in transition, and they're going to try and shoot more threes. Now, the shooting threes thing I always thought was like, I don't know, like a little bit overstated. Like you have to make them for them to be good shots, and 
the Bulls are a decent shooting team, but they're not a great shooting team. And, and I do think Torrey Craig and Javon Carter should theoretically uh, make that better. And so we'll see how that pans out over time. So far, their three-point shooting has been you know, an absolute disaster. And the one thing I did say, though, is a lot of the reason why their defense has been so good is because they don't crash the glass, so they don't get a lot of offensive rebounds, but because they always get back on defense and they're not giving up a lot of these early offense points, which are super efficient. And so, uh, you know, as it stands right now, the Bulls' offensive rebound right now, they're the 12th best in the league. I mean, what does that mean after like three, two, three games for every team? Not, not a lot, but their offensive rebound rate has, has gone up a lot. They have been crashing the glass um, a little bit more. And, you know, with that, the problem is they are now giving up like these points in transition and their defense has like fallen way off. And that includes a game against Toronto, which was just, just tragically bad on offense. So, you know, some of the things that I said, like these, these are trade-offs, like their defense wasn't as good as it looked at, looked like because they had these other things going on. And so that seems to be the case where there seems to actually be trade-offs between what they're doing on offense and defense. And, you know, they've made some of those trade-offs. Their offense really hasn't improved. They're still at 24th, but they've shot just god-awful. So they are getting, like, probably some easier looks and other stuff to compensate for that. Um, so we'll just see. We'll just track and see how all things, those things go over time. But I've, I've always called their defense a paper tiger because they don't defend any individual play type very well. They just force teams into sort of poor play types. But that is particularly true with denying transition baskets and denying offensive rebounds. Now, we'll see. Vooch and Drummond should do a, continue to do a solid job denying offensive rebound opportunities. I don't think that's going to change much. But if we start trying to crash the glass like we are, you know, you'll start seeing other teams get out in transition against the Bulls more. And you're going to see that number shift a lot, even if the half-court defense uh, doesn't really change a whole lot. They really weren't that great a half-court defensive team. So... Uh, we'll just, just track that over the season. All right, that'll do it for this edition of the Bulls Beat. Good to be back. Thanks for listening, and I'll talk to you guys soon.